and welcome to More Life, the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry, reform, and advocacy. I'm your host, Vinkivia Garner. Thank you for joining me today. So, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about second chance hiring. And this comes in one response to April is Second Chance Month. And um, I know this episode is going to be released afterwards, but still just acknowledging the importance of second chances and kind of what that means. And um, an essential part of that is second chance hiring. So for today's episode, we have Mr. Tony Loudon, who is the pastor of former President Jimmy Carter in Rosalind Carter. He is a chaplain for the Secret Service in Southwest Georgia. He was appointed by the White House in 2019 as executive director of the Federal Interagency Council on Crime Prevention and Improving Reentry. Right now, he is the vice president of reintegration and community engagement at Via Path Technologies, which provides advanced communications and management solutions that facilitate meaningful connections, provide educational opportunities, and enable successful reentry for 1.6 million incarcerated individuals. So Mr. Loudon is going to be giving us a great conversation on second chances hiring, the impact of second chance hiring, as well as just his journey in working with reentry. Um, so Mr. Loudon, we are so grateful to have you on today and we're looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Vecina. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you today. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, you know, <laughs> when I saw the email of... Um, <laughs> someone from the that previously worked in the White House is, was interested in talking. I got so excited. So um, I am really excited to have you here and to see where our conversation leads, though. Well, this is probably one of the most important topics that we can talk about, especially when we deal with Black and Brown communities across the nation. And yes, this month is Second Chance Month, but you're going to always hear me talk about the Second Chances every day. Yeah, that we should be talking about this. It's not just something we celebrate during April, but this is something that we should celebrate every day of the week. Exactly. And I, I definitely agree with you on that of um because the, these people are living every day and they need these opportunities every day. So uh, April is just a month of which we acknowledge it, but this is something that should be, like you said, every day going on. Like Black um, History Month is every every day. Yes, very much every day. Yeah. I'm black every day, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> every single day. Um, well, I guess before we get into like our actual conversation about like second chances, um, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, I know I gave a brief introduction, but that's not really everything about you. Um, so if you could just tell us who you are and what, what you have been doing as far as as it relates to reentry. Well, I'm 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 just a kid from North Philadelphia, a kid who grew up in a trap house. Um, and for some of these older folks that may be listening to your podcast, that's a bootleg house or a speakeasy house. But for the Zen generation, it's a trap house, right? Um, my mom ran the trap house, and the trap house was my job was to come home every day and clean up the trap house, to clean up the vomit, to clean up, pick up the needles, the beer cans, all those things. Majority of the men and women in my family has been just as involved in and out of prisons. Majority of the people I grew up with has been in and out of prison or dead. Majority of the people that I grew up with have been in, in, in gangs and drugs and, and all of that. So this impact of, of mass incarceration, drugs, reentry, all those things have played a major uh, part of my life growing up as a kid in North Philadelphia, one of the worst ghettos in America. 
And so I had an opportunity to um, make it out of North Philadelphia. And so oftentimes when we make it out of places like that, we don't go back and work in those spaces to try to change that. Well, I've had an opportunity to work in various different fields. I, 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 I'm just a job, really. That's what got me into school. But I've had an opportunity to be able to um, be the government affairs person for Eli Lilly Pharmaceuticals for the whole country. I've worked for AstraZeneca Government Affairs for the whole country. I've worked for Baxter. That's what got me to Georgia. Um, I've been working in this space in criminal justice reform uh, for almost 20 years, uh, trying to help people. I've launched nonprofits for um, uh, kids of the incarcerated, um, at-risk kids. Um, I've helped turn around Georgia's uh, prison reform for Governor Nathan Deal uh, when Georgia was dead last in the nation. And then we eventually end up being number one. I've helped uh, with launching um, evidence-based prisons. There's not too many prisons I haven't visited in the nation. Some of the worst prisons like Angola's prison. I spent the night in Angola's prison. Um, I, I've been to all of some of California's toughest prisons. I was just in North Carolina a couple of months ago, well, a month ago for a whole week. Spent two hours on death row with 178 inmates on death row. And so this is a passion work for me, uh, something that I, I really want to leave a legacy behind because the only way we can change our communities and make our communities safe is that we make corrections, corrections, and we, we focus on rehabilitation. We focus on reintegration, and then you can focus on reentry. So that second chance folks who are just as involved can get an opportunity to move back into the communities. And so uh, my work in Georgia led me to be appointed to the White House um, to be in charge of the criminal justice reform, um, working with a DOJ, having an office at the White House and DOJ at the same time. And so I've had an opportunity to do some amazing things in this space. You know, definitely, because um, a lot of things that you mentioned there um great things that you've done and I'm, I'm really appreciative that we have people out there that are working this hard um, for this population. I want to say also thank you for sharing a little bit of your story and your background about you know where you come from and how that has fueled what you are doing now um, and where you are planning to go as well. Um, Most people when they go to school and they go look for jobs and do all the things they want to do they don't get the opportunity to work into their passion. Yeah. They punch the clock, they do the work, but they don't get opportunity to work in their passion. And exactly. we can't complain about something unless we really want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that's my mindset across the nation. If you look at majority of our prisons in the nation, especially in the South, they're on former plantations. Former plantations. They are. Angola prison is on a former plantation. Uh, you look at some of the prisons in Georgia that's surrounded by agriculture and cotton, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, uh, Florida, those are all on former plantations. So one would have to ask themselves the question, those that don't want to work in this space, those that don't want to grind in this space, those that don't want to open up their mouths and try to do something about it. How do we survive slavery? How do we survive Jim Crow? How do we survive uh, Reconstruction? How do we survive Vietnam, World War One, World War Two? All those things that we survived as a as a, 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 a individuals growing up here in America, and then have their sons and daughters end up 
and return right back to the plantation if we are still the majority of the ones that's in our prisons. Mm -hmm. That's something that we must address across the nation, that we have more people going to prison than we do going to college, that we have more people going to prison than we have in some of our schools across the nation. Mm -hmm. And so this is this is something that I, 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 I believe is a subject that we must debate and we can't just debate it during uh, Second Chance Month. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like you said, a lot larger than, you know, just talking about in a month of, because um, like you said, if we have, and I also think about related to our topic today, especially if we're talking about hiring and we're talking about employment, um, the more people we have in prison, the less people we're going to have working um, and filling positions that very much need people in those spaces as well. My sister, let me tell you something. We've had the perfect storm, this thing called the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic has opened up eyes all around the nation about men, men and women who are just as involved. We have 78 million men and women who are out of prisons that has felonies across our nation, which means they've spent some time either in prison or on probation. We release over 160,000 men and women every day um, and every year in our prisons. And so these numbers are coming out over and over. But when the pandemic hit, we have this great resignation community that don't want to go to work. And so you can go on to the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce and you see that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has done a study and built a business case and said that the, the most important people that we can start working and training right now to help close the labor shortage in our nation is those who have been just as involved to bring them out of the shadows. Because here's what normally happens when a person gets out of prison. Um, they get out of prison. We let them go without a driver's license or security card, a birth certificate. They may have 25 to $35 in their hand on a card. Um, they can't rent a place to live. They don't have a job. We just, that's, that's what reentry is in this nation. Right. We they go to prison then we open up the go doors after you've done your time and we allow you reenter back into society. But we have not done the rehabilitation, reintegration. We have not put together a transitional accountability plan that allows you to tell what do I do in the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. We don't look at ways of linking you up with pathways and jobs, training you on the inside so that when you get ready to come home, if I learn how to cut hair while I'm in prison or cosmetology while I'm in prison, I can get my industrial license, right? And so we have not banned a box on industrial licenses so that when people come on, they don't work in the shadows. But long come the pandemic. And the pandemic says in places like Las Vegas, Sin City, where the Chamber of Commerce says, we'll hire anybody, even with a criminal record, to come work and keep Las Vegas open. And a program called Hope for Prisoners did that. And that program kept Vegas open, where they bring in product to market, working in casinos, hospitality. They were doing everything. And the sheriff was mentoring the people that they had arrested to work in this in, in inside the communities. And now this program is one of the best in the nation, have a 6% recidivism rate. Um, the US Chamber of Commerce has also put together a, a slide deck showing uh, businesses across the nation how to get a tax credit if I hire a returning citizen. How to get bonded if I hire a returning citizens. And so what we've done with our technology, we start putting all academics and certification and apprenticeships 
and all those things on our tablets so that we can prepare that labor force when they get ready to come home. Now, we shouldn't just put tablets inside the prison and they, all they're doing is listening to music and, and, and sending home emails because that's not preparing a person to come home to feed their children and get a job and, and, and not go out and get a lick and try to come back inside the facility. We should put it, be putting stuff on our tablets like um, uh, AA and NA to help them with substance abuse. We should deal with mental health and trauma. We should use our tablets to do what we, what, what we call family engagement piece, putting the, their families back together, putting the children back together. We should allow them to stack their credentials, all the certificates, the completed courses. If you go to our website, you'll see that we have over 5 million completed learning courses currently right now within a year's time of people completing courses inside our prisons. And that is amazing. I'm not just talking about courses where you just read and flip through and say, I completed. No, no, no. You it's, it's self-paced, but you can't move along unless you complete the courses. Right. We have places like Maricopa Jail, one of the toughest jails in America, um, where they used to have men wear pink underwear to try to shame them is using more technology than anything right now to educate men and women and get them jobs. We just released 39,000 tablets in North Carolina, training men and women on, on apprenticeship and vocational skills so when they get ready to come home. And that's, we also at our company has decided we're gonna stand up a national staffing agency. Cause we believe in this model so much that we're gonna put our name on individuals and we're going to, help them with their benefits. And we're gonna get contracts where we can train them to go work in different places, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's digital, whether it's hospitality or whatever, construction, we are gonna take the risk and allow them to be hired in all these jobs across the nation. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It makes our community safe. Because as you know, Ms. Gardner, in our communities across the nation, Desperate people do desperate things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you're desperate, you'll do desperate things to try to feed your family or feed yourself. Too many people are living in the shadows, what we call an invisible prison. Mm -hmm. When you do your time in prison and when you get out, there's an invisible prison. I can't get a job, can't go to work, can't get any food, can't go back and live with my family. All those things, it's a prison. It's, there's no walls but you have to live on the streets in this prison. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to change that. Uh, we have too many veterans that have come on from the longest wars. Can't get a job. We're changing that. We have too many women coming out of our prisons. Can't get a job. We're changing that through technology. That is what reintegration looks like. That is what reentry should be. And that's yeah. what correction should be. No, I definitely agree with that. Like um, reentry should be like for people to be successful in reentry, it should be about providing the resources and equipping these individuals for, so when they do leave the system, that they have whatever necessities or, or access to things to be able to help, like you said, facilitate them through that process. Like this is not something that they're going to be able to do and just, it's going to be easy. We know it's not going to be easy, but it can be easier and smoother if we have things in place before they leave that includes like you're saying um starting before they are even released and not like i like the idea of uh, 
you know, because I, I do hear about technology in the prisons nowadays. And a lot of time it is used for various other things, like you said, sending emails, et cetera. Um, but education, um, how can we use what we're providing these people with to help them when they leave here? Because they have to leave here yeah. at some point. Um, we have so many people coming back, cycling in and out. Like you just said, over 160,000 people a year leaving that we have to prepare to be able to come back and be productive afterwards. On top of the 78 million people that's already out in the streets that have felony records. Yes. On top of those people who are already on probation, on top of the juveniles that's in jail, on top of the people that's in our federal and state prisons, on top, we have so many people that's incarcerated right now that if we don't use this model using technology to change people, mm -hmm. the system will implode. Why is that? Because since the pandemic, we have staffing shortages in prison. People are not accepting those correctional officer jobs which means that there's a safety problem because if I can't bring volunteers inside the prison mm -hmm. because I don't have manpower to make, the, make it safe for them to happen, whether it's a community college, vocational place, or a chaplain, or a nonprofit organization, then their programming stop inside the prison. And so we have to look at ways now, how do we use technology to bring them in? How do we bring community colleges in? How do we also bring in the nonprofits? How do we bring in jobs? We have an app on our on our tablet right now that's called Honest Jobs that allow people to take their crime that they're committed, put it in this app, and look for jobs that will hire them. And we have validated the companies that are looking for people that are just as involved. Mm -hmm. We also have an app called Career App on our tablets. That's from the Department of Labor. Just over six months, we've had 1.7 million people inside prisons nationwide looking for jobs on that app so much that the department of labor is saying we want to we want to partner with you guys even more because we love the data that we're seeing with individuals looking for jobs on this one app that the department of labor put on our tablets mm -hmm. we also have a, a a portal on our tablets that helps individuals to be able to look for financial services health services, housing, legal, soft skills, life skills, where am I going to live, education, and jobs. And, and here's a beautiful part about this. We have created a software so that not only can you look at it inside, but also we go from pre-release to post-release. So when you get outside, you can log on as well, continue the courses that you was doing on the inside, look for data and research, or that you need to find those ancillary services as well. And that changes the game. Mm -hmm. I'll tell some of your listeners right now that when an individual come home from prison right now, or used to, before we start taking over what we're doing in our model, no matter where you go, you have to log on the internet or use technology to do something. You can't walk up to Walmart and say, hey, you know, I, I know on a job. That's how you go online. Mm -hmm. Um, you go anywhere until you go online, you go to LinkedIn or any of these things to apply for a job. We have to start on the inside and teaching men and women this technology. We no longer can hide in the digital divide. Yeah. Most prisons have not been built for technology. You have prisons in Texas don't even have air conditioning. We're talking about bringing in 
uh, Wi-Fi and all these other things to educate them. We are doing it on steroids to make it happen. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's the most important thing that we can do in our nation to be able to give people a pathway back into citizenship. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that citizenship, we use this new terminology, returning citizens. They can't be returned until we give them the tools that they need. Not an umbilical core where they have to depend on government, but skills that allow them to go out and be able to take care of themselves. Business right. skills if they want to be an entrepreneur. How do I be an entrepreneur? How do I do a, how do I do a work with on a computer? How do I do my resumes and all those things? We have to do it on the inside. Re-entry, and I learned this from working in Georgia when we were dead last in prison reform. That re-entry starts, Miss Gardner, the moment I get arrested. Day one. It follows me. All the way out the door. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely does. And like, I think that's a, a thing that is like really forgotten in the field. Uh, we think that, um, oh, well, it'll start when they go on community supervision or it'll start three months prior to their release, six months, whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, it really starts day one. And we should, um, as a community, as a society, as people, we should want this for these people. And we should want it for ourselves as far as if you want a safe community um, and you want people to be productive. You don't want people, these are people's family members, people's kids that are constantly cycling through because they're not provided the resources um, or the tools to equip them to come out. And I think one of the things that I really like that you said, which is also tends to be neglected when you talk about transitioning, is that continuum of care Uh, will, if people are provided services prior to, they're not given anything afterwards. Um, Absolutely. So there's no follow-up, there's no check-in, there's no, where do I go to get what I was getting when I was in there, you know, and vice you, versa. You can lose something on your phone, you can you can sync your phones, your, your buds up to your phone, and then when you walk away from your buds, your phones will give you a notice saying, hey, you walked away from your, from your buds, and here's the location that is in. Technology now, we should be able to serve the future of our workforce, men and women that's in our prisons. We should be able to get them high school diplomas inside the prison. We should bring community colleges and universities on the inside to help this workforce development, to be mm-hmm. able to help them with welding, assembly jobs. Uh, manufacturing is growing like crazy. I just left, uh, yesterday I was in Nevada, uh, working in Arizona DOC and some of the jails out there. Manufacturing is exploding out there, but guess what they don't have is the workers. Well, we can use our tablets right now and help with robotics, safety, uh, forming fabrication and stamping, machinery, maintenance, lean and leadership, assembly lines, welding, all those content that they can do through digital uh, uh, content on our tablets and do the hands-on when they get ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we should move, be moving forward in the future to have justice-involved veterans, uh, individuals that not, have not been veterans, to be able to make that happen. We're currently using Tooling U to have over 600 online classes on our tablets that has national certifications to be able to get them the careers that they need when they leave. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. And that's why I'm so excited being able to do everything that I wanted to do when I was in the White House. I'm doing it now without no consequences of elections. Yeah, (laughs) 
Oh, politics. Oh, man. Uh, that's a totally different thing. Um, but, you know, Mr. Loudon, I was thinking about this, too. You know, a lot of times with jobs and we see this a lot with employers of a lot of them have this idea that these people are dangerous when they they come out or that they don't have any skill set. Um, can, can we go ahead and like debunk that right now? <laughs> well, there's a stigma across the nation that individuals inside the prisons are are, are dangerous and 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 they are don't want to work. They're lazy, and all. I want to tell you, it's just the opposite. Um, I know a gentleman by the name of Lajie Ruffin right now who's completed Morehouse since he's been out. He's also at the University of Mercer right now. He's also now working for the Department of Correction. So he was in prison. Now he's working for the Department of Correction. He's also working on his mental health certificates as well. I know an individual who currently right now runs Michael Jordan's brand, right? Um, he spent time in prison for life and for murder. He eventually became a general manager of the uh, uh, Portland Trailblazers. And now he's the CEO of uh, Michael Jordan's brand. And this brother here um, kept it hidden forever. But how do you go from prison to being a CEO? It happens across the nation. There's lots of people who are just as involved. We have to ask ourselves as a nation, do we believe truly in second chances? Mm -hmm. This is ship that's over my shoulder here. It's made of all cardboard and glue. It's, there's no wood on it whatsoever. It looks like a real ship. It looks like it's wood. It's looked like it's been night, neatly crafted. It was built by um, a gentleman inside the prison who I was mentoring, and he gave it, gave it to me as a gift. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest murals that we have are artists are inside the prisons. We have some talent that's inside our prisons that are absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. Question is, do we believe that a person can pay for their sins and go to work? Yeah. And as I preach in the Bible, oh, 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 through the Bible a lot, I tell people, you don't believe in second chances, then stop believing in Jesus. Because oh, he had, what he, you had said. he had three trials mm -hmm. by government folks. He had three trials by religious folks. And he too was executed, went into the tomb, buried in the tomb and came back and became a second chance citizen so that we might have access to heaven. And if you don't believe that, yes. then stop, stop preaching, stop teaching about David, who was a premeditated murder. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Don't preach about Joseph in, 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 in the, uh, the New Old Testament because he went to the prison, the palace, back to the prison, and then came out to be the leader to help his people during famine. Mm -hmm. Don't preach about a John who wrote most of the revelations from prison. Mm -hmm. And then don't talk about Paul, who was a serial killer and found himself when he became a disciple in and out of prison as he was spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. So we have to look at this thing as way we truly want to believe it. As giving people second chances. Here's one that I, I, I think is very important. I mentioned to you about the veterans. We have over 170,000 veterans in our prisons across the nation. Mm -hmm. Why that's a high number? So much, Ms. Gardner, that we have what we call veteran dorms in our prisons. And dorms can come anywhere between 50 to 100 men or women. And so here's why they're in prison. They fight some of the longest wars for old glory, that flag. 
mm-hmm. and then they come home in trauma for fighting a war for our nation, our freedom. Mm-hmm. Then because they can get the 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 aid that they need to transition back into the community and they're still dealing with the trauma in their head, they self-medicate. Yeah. And then they become just as involved because of drug addiction or alcohol. And then they end up just as involved in our prisons. And then when they get ready to come home again, they're homeless on our streets. So America, do we truly believe that in our nation, we want men, young men who leave high school, young women who leave high school, fight for our country and come home tormented about what they did and then end up just as involved. And then even when they go to prison, we can't give them a second chance. There's something wrong with that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. We should look at ways of doing everything we can to help our veterans mm-hmm. and individuals that's in our prisons. We can't keep going this route of building prisons all across our nation. Spending way too much money for that. Money that could be allocated elsewhere. (laughs) Well, we have a lot of people in our prisons who are mentally ill now. We have a lot of people in our prisons who have addictions. And we have a lot of people in our prisons who can um, reintegrate back into our communities. Now, prisons do serve its purpose. We do have some really bad people out there in this world. Yeah, that that prisons are meant for. But those who are coming home and want to change their lives, we should do everything we can to give them a second chance. And, you know, I think like when people hear um, they when people hear like what you just said, like there are some really bad people in this world, people who have done some gruesome things. And yes, they should be in prison. Um, And I think people take um, maybe that one bad person and they generalize it to the rest of the group um and it's like if you if you think about it though those bad eggs don't represent everybody that is incarcerated we're not saying that they're not there but that's not everybody helping helping uh individuals who have been just as involved and is not soft on crime it is smart on crime yeah because if i roll a, a a person letting a person get out of prison with no skills i take everything from them while they're in prison and then they come home, they're homeless on the streets. I put them on a bus and send them right back to the communities. Their families are transient and they can barely find their family members. They're going to be desperate. A desperate person will want to do everything they can to feed themselves or feed their families. Mm-hmm. And so we got to do, it's called smart policing or community policing. Mm-hmm. We got to do things the right way and not rush to do things where we're not thinking them through with evidence-based practices. Yeah. That's for sure. And, you know, I've had people like on my podcast that have talked about, um, you know, just their experiences of while they're reentering. And one thing that I've noticed is, like you said, they've had the resources. That is the biggest thing that they've said they've had. If they didn't have the resources directly, they had somebody in their corner that could point them in the direction yeah, that could right. help them facilitate the process, which has made not only their transition so much smoother but um their transformation so much better of i'm going to be able you know i'm sticking to this this is what i'm doing and change their lives in ways that they at first probably when they first came out they thought they they would not be able to do yeah you know churches synagogue mosques nonprofits, and everyday citizen this mass incarceration problem this second chance folks is helping men and women get back on their feet it's an issue we all must address. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know too many people that have not had an opportunity where they've had a loved one or a family member or a friend or a church member in prison. Right. I'll never forget when I first started working in this space, I held a workshop talking to people on, uh, about what we're trying to do in the state of Georgia. And this pastor came up to me, him and his wife afterwards, pulled me into the corner and said, you convicted us. Our son is in prison. He's in prison for sending a young lady a, a picture he shouldn't have never sent while he was teaching in school. And they sent him, sentenced him to eight years in prison. And since the crime happened in a small town, made the news and all that, I disowned him and hid. And we have not spoken to him. I said, well, no, no problem. No problem. It's not where you start is where you finish. Right. And I said, so let me let me look him up in the prison, see what he's doing and see if I can connect you two back together. Mm -hmm. And they were just bawling. And when I called him and I, I said, listen, I have some good news. Your son is in prison. He's in a faith and character prison. And he is leading the faith and character movement in the entire prison. He's an aide in the prison. He's turned his life completely around. Mm -hmm. See, we're so quickly to judge. Yeah. But a lot of us should be in prison. We we just we just escaped for what we, we've done. There's other people out there who who are playing in the gray area, and they should be in prison as well. Mm -hmm. But we're always pointing fingers at people when we got other fingers pointing back at us as well. Mm -hmm. And every person undeserve an opportunity to not to be disposable. And there's some that, you know, I would say, you know what, that, that particular person, yeah, we probably need to keep him incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But there's some people who really want to come home to get a second chance and put together the community. Our company is also working with children of the incarcerated with our foundation. Our foundation, we we started that just because of the children. Most people don't think about that. Um, we've we've hosted programs at the Dallas Cowboys training facility and brought in two, three hundred kids and had the coaches and the players hang out with them. Mm -hmm. And what was significant about all that, they walked away out of there with Nike shoes. And then we had workshops for the guardians, because most people don't think don't think about the nanas and the pop-pops and the uncles and his sisters and nieces and cousins who's taking care of their family members, children, because their family's incarcerated. Exactly. Yes. Right. And so this, this, this just is not some like a smooth thing. We lock somebody. There is some collateral consequences mm -hmm. of incarcerating people in our nation. And yeah. we have to address, address this holistically mm -hmm. to be able to help people in our nation. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, of like, I, you know, this is really a bigger issue than just the individual. Um, this is a, a nation issue. Um, like you said, this is impacting people's families, uh, children. We, you know, we spend a lot of time in schools talking about we don't want children to go to the carceral system, um, but we're not supporting the children that may already have parents in the carceral system to keep them from the same journey, uh, potentially. Yeah. And it is just really hard to see. And, and, I, and you know, I hope people, uh, as we learn new information, like there's so much stuff that's coming out about mass incarceration, the effects of mass incarceration, where we need to be going, that people can start to see like this is an issue for all of us. Like this is not just the person that's incarcerated or the formerly incarcerated person's issue. Like this issue for you too. People should check out the numbers. I encourage your listeners to do a couple of things. Go to Google, take your particular state 
and ask Google these questions. How many people are in our prisons in my state? And if I would say Georgia, the number would be 59,000. Uh, next question asks, how many people are on felony paper in my state? If I would say Georgia, it would be 410,000 people in Georgia. If I ask, I will also ask Google, how many juveniles are in our, in our, in our detention centers across the state? It would be over 6,000 here in Georgia. Then I'll ask the question, how many African-Americans, how many Latinos? I'll ask all those questions. See, when you get into the numbers, it will blow your mind of the number of people that we have incarcerated in our nation. And what the biggest issue that we have is the revolving door. Yeah. They get out and they come back. They get out and they come back. They get out and they come back. Yes, we do have knuckleheads who want to be hard criminals. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Some get out because the community has changed. Gentrification has taken place and I can't go back to Harlem. Right? I'm on paper in Harlem, but I, I, I can only get a job in the Bronx. Right? All these different things, community supervision officers. Some want to be officers that follow you and watch you and lock you up and others want to be officers who want to help you transition back into the community. We have to look at all those different scenarios and then we have to change the culture yeah. of mass incarceration that there are good people who want to come back into the communities. And if we can transition them back into the community correctly, then our communities are safer. Yeah. Definitely. And then it stops. It stops what I call this generation of family members in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially for Georgia, us black and brown. Georgia did a thing and some other states are doing it called one officer, one house. Because what we found out in the numbers that there could be a father on probation and he got a probation officer. There could be a juvenile on probation. They got a probation officer. There could be a person who's with Department of Family Children Services who have a case and they have a probation officer coming to the house. You have three officers coming to the house for one house. Three different officers. You know, we got to get away from that, looking at consolidating resources mm -hmm. where all agencies, state and federal agencies, are working together. Department of Energy, Department of Labor, Department of Education, Department of Justice, all those 17 federal agencies should be planning together instead of silos just so that the secretary can be on the list to run for president when, when they're their commander-in-chief, when his time is up, they should be working collectively together to move the needle to change America. This is not a Republican issue. It's not a Democratic issue. It's an American issue mm -hmm. that we got to look at ways of being able to change the game. Let me tell you something. Because of meth, fentanyl, and all the other things, the highest number of people that are going to our prisons now are white women. Yeah, I've it, seen that. Rural communities are starting to look like inner city communities of the people that's going to prisons. We have to be serious about this if we're really going to be this great nation because yeah. we can't keep up with the numbers. We will implode if we don't do something now. Yeah, we got to start taking some action and be a lot quicker. In, um, and I, I know it's a slow process, but... Um, we got to do a little bit more because the numbers are growing 
women, white women, I have learned that with, I, I one, I've just learned substance use or substance use disorders, uh, a lot of times automatically comes with legal involvement. Yeah. Uh, that is most people's experiences. And, and I've definitely seen um, and heard about the the skyrocketing rates of white women being incarcerated, jailed because of substance use related concerns. Um, so we, we do have to be a little bit more proactive, not a little bit, a lot more proactive in what we are doing if we really want the outcomes that we desire. Well, we got to ask ourselves a question. How do we, a nation, allow our jails to become mental hospitals? Right? Yeah. Um, Los Angeles County, the largest mental health hospital in the world is in Los Angeles County because we take those who are mentally ill on our streets and we lock them up and put them inside a prison with bad people. Sometimes they get assaulted. Sometimes they end up being in segregation forever. Right. When Sometimes we don't get them the medication that they need. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you, you, you can't put them in the same place. You can't take people who have addictions, which is a issue. Addiction is a health issue. And then put them into prison with hardened criminals. Mm -hmm. right? And I think, and think that's that they're a, not going. I think they're not. They're going to become criminals to help supply their habits. Exactly, and I think that that is a uh, definitely a real issue of us criminalizing very <laughs> social related concerns, homelessness, substance use disorders, these mental health. Um, and those are not the things that should be criminal should be criminalized. Those are things that people should be given treatment for and put in the right spaces. Um, Our people are not bees, Miss Gardner. Bees go to all these different flowers. <laughs> they go to get the pollen and all this stuff and they're doing cross-pollination, all that. We cannot allow those who are suffering from mental illness and those who are suffering from addictions and hardcore criminals to go inside the prison and cross-pollinate each other. Yeah. That's a dangerous concept. And but that's what's happening. Yes. And it's it's really sad to see, um, especially because like I'm in the mental health field. Like that's what I'm going to school for. And this is the population that I want to work with. And you go in and you see these people in these jails and you see these people in these prisons, or you hear their stories and it's like, you should not be here. Yeah. <laughs> like there is a totally different facility or for you but they have you in here and yeah. I can never understand it. States have to change their concept. You know, mm -hmm. often, before we got so divided, wherever that state's heart was, that's where their treasure was. That's where they spent their resources. And so we got to look at ways to find out the things that we love and we want to change. And if we love people, we got to spend money and resources on people that change people. Yeah. I agree. I think that that, yeah, if that's what we value. If that, what is your state? Like you said, it boils down to what is your state value? What is important to them? And if it truly is the public safety of the families there, the communities there, then we should be putting in uh, everything we can to ensure that we can um, accomplish those things. And, yeah. and this is an area to do that. I want to encourage your listeners to, to get involved. Mm -hmm. I want to encourage them to, you know, um, volunteer. I want to encourage them to look at ways of helping the justice-involved community. I want to encourage them to be a voice, not just a voice of screaming, but have all the facts. Anyone can scream, anyone can protest, but have the facts where you can change policy. 
yeah. look at ways of passing policy that um, pregnant women are, are, are not having their children inside prisons where the mother now has a number and the child has a number. Look at ways of being able to say that if a person learned an occupation or a trade while they're in prison, they should be able to the secretary of state and be able to get a license so that they can feed themselves instead of working in the shadows. So if I learn cosmetology, I don't have to hire somebody else's license. I can go out and open up my own business and take care of myself. Same with barbering. Mm -hmm. um, look at ways of being able to make sure that individuals leave the prison cells with a driver's license, social security card, and a birth certificate. We right. should be to do that in 2023 now. They're doing it in Missouri and mm -hmm. Presight, one of the best um, directors of prisons in the nation, is doing that and making sure that every individual is leaving her facilities with a driver's license, social security card, and birth certificate. They're learning how to do CDLs inside the prison. They got simulators teaching them how to drive tractor trailers inside the prison. They're doing carpentry inside the prison. They're doing welding inside the prison. They're doing family engagement, paying child support, all those things inside the prison. We got to be able to say, do we want our jails and our prisons to be a place where we warehouse people? Or do we want our prisons and our jails to be a place where correctional officers are being trained and equipped and given the resources to help people change their lives mm -hmm. and then take the bad guys who we may be mad out mad at and put them away where they need to be right and and that'll help and like it'll be so many different trickling things that will change if like you said the culture changes because i can also imagine if we have that set up in the way you just described it people would likely work in the correctional facilities then because then they're not as burnt out as stressed yeah because of all the other things so it's a win-win and, and sometimes and I don't understand how some people don't see that or what the case may be or what's taking us so long to get there but well, sometimes money helps them see it and so if they go to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. pull down the business case for helping returning citizens there's one slide on there that talks about the GDP which deals with our economy it talks about the billions of dollars that will be to the good of our, our nation's GDP if we hire returning citizens in our country and close the labor gap, the labor shortage in our nation. It, mm -hmm. it, it contributes to our, our gross our national product where we can actually be able to be a bright and shiny equipped nation again. Yeah, and employment does so much for the individual like it ch it changes their life drastically their family's life drastically as well so if we believe in capitalism then you gotta give a person opportunity to capitalize on it yeah give them a job <laughs> so the moral of this uh episode is give them a job <laughs> that's the takeaway here give them a job no um I think so much truth in that, you know, all the resources that you listed, I really want to make sure I put those in the bottom because I, I want, I want my audience uh, to go look at them. Um, You know, I think, I also think like numbers provide a lot of perspective for people and, yeah. you know, when, when people see like, we do have this many people coming back and this is what's happening. This, how many people look like me that are also, mm -hmm. that may have this experience um, 
it it really resonates with some people and it can change like their approach to certain things as well um and how active they may become or you know just just change and, and if you're a returning citizen out there and you you're listening to this podcast um go to go to your website and look up hope for prisoners john ponder john ponder went to prison for robbing banks john ponder's from the hood of, of new york john ponder's a good friend of mine John Ponder has the best program in the nation for individuals who are just as involved, mm -hmm. both pre and post release. So he's working with them inside the prison and he's working with them on the outside of prison because he now becomes a credible messenger. Yeah. I call people who spend time in prison. That's why we we're hiring some of them at our, at our in our company. Yeah. Because they become forensic peer mentors. Mm -hmm. or credible messengers. They know what it takes when they come home, how to be successful and never go back to prison again and and, and take care of their families. That's true. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Loudon, can I ask you a question though? Um, do y'all have an app for people that are, that maybe were not involved in the program uh, when they were incarcerated? Say for instance, they're out right now. They have no involvement in the technologies at all is there an app for them to be able to go search and find jobs um or do yes, they have yes. to have yes well, honest jobs you can go to honest jobs um there's both a inside uh portal and an outside portal as well okay and be able to look on honest jobs and as if you are a person that's just as involved and you're looking for a job you can do that as well we're about to stand up our um national um and, and uh, uh, staffing a company, which will have a website as well. It's 2C for um, Second Chance. And that, that'll be a part of Biopath webpage as well. And you can log on there and look for jobs as well. And then we're creating a portal where people can complete those life skills as well. And then just, hey, you know, I'm the type of person that will always want to. So just come to our website. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I want to talking all about second chances and Tony Loudon and uh, my staff or other people will help you. Yeah, I think that that's great. And like, I also make sure that I put that in the description box as well, because I know people that are formerly incarcerated and they don't know where to go get a job because especially in a rural community, like yeah. some places are just not accepting of that. Like, like you said, the stigma is there. So I think that would be very helpful, um, even for people that are listening, um, but also for people that I know just to be able to send them this information. Um, I guess before we get off of here, um, I want to say I really enjoyed the conversation. I really did. Um, and one thing I really like to ask my guest of if the audience didn't learn, well, not learn, but what is one thing the audience you would want the audience to take away from our conversation today? In order to help people who are just as involved get to their purpose, we have to deal with the other three P's as well. We have to deal with changing their playmates, people who they play with when they get ready to come home. Mm -hmm. Then we have to change their playground. You can't go back to the same things you're used to that got you in trouble. And then you got to change the play things. You can't go back to drugs and alcohol and needles and trying to get a lick. If you really want to get to your purpose, those are the things that we got to change. I, I call them the four Ps. You can't get to your purpose if you're always running back to your vomit. Mm -hmm. You can't get back to get to your purpose if you're always dealing with people who is trying to get you to rob, kill, steal, and destroy, and, mm -hmm. and you end up being a person destroyed. And the only person to catch in the case 
is the person who is going in and out of prison. Right. We got to look at ways of making it happen. We can't get to your purpose if we continue to allow and have an excuse that black and brown can kill themselves over a t-shirt that's made in China, red, blue, or green. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we can't, we can't help people get to their purpose if we can't teach them entrepreneurship where they can own the street corners legally mm-hmm. and own the businesses on those street corners legally and have their own LLC, their own EIN number, and be able to make a, a profit off their own communities instead of just walking into a store and robbing people and killing people. Yeah. We have to change that whole culture, that concept. Like I said, if you believe in capitalism, let's teach one so that each one can reach one. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And um all of that definitely makes sense to me. Uh we we really want to push people towards their purpose and we have to equip them with how to be able to do that and how to be able to get there. So Miss um, Gordon, I, I'm so I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank they, you. They, they told me that, you know, that uh there's a possible I can do this podcast. I jumped at it. Not not only because I, I, I can get the message out and you have an audience that follows you, mm-hmm. but to see a young Zen generation person grinding in this space on a positive space, mm-hmm. I want to be able to pour into and support what you were doing. And because, I really appreciate that. Because it's important. Mm-hmm. Because we don't see that often. And, and for you to get your purpose and to walk in and learn more and do all that, I want to make sure that we're supporting what you do. And I hope that your listeners out there mm-hmm. understand that you you can be a servant leader with a servant heart. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I love um, President Carter so much. I get an opportunity. He changed my perspective in so many ways mm-hmm. that we should give ourselves to the cause that we believe in, mm-hmm. that it's not about us. Yeah. It's all about the people that we can serve and help. Mm-hmm. And we keep so much to ourselves and we try to pull other people down. But if we really want to help other people, we got to do everything we can to give of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, I grew up in the trap house, but I also made it to the White House. Mm -hmm. Yes, my daughter will be able to say that her father served two presidents at the same time. That's I don't say that to brag. I say that because someone reached me. Yeah. Helped me out of the trap house. Mm No. No. And you look, you know, I thank you for just like acknowledging what I'm doing and coming on and supporting. Um, you know, it's not easy doing this as a grad student. I'm, you know, trying to make your way. Um, uh, you're trying to make your way in the field and essentially get to where you are. Um, and it, I mean, it has been a journey, but it's something that I love. Like, um, I, I come from Arkansas, a place with the highest incarceration at least top five highest incarceration rates, most limited amount of resources. And like I said, I've seen people in my family go through this journey. Um, I have friends that are going through it right now. And, um, you know, I try to give my all in what I do and in my podcast as well. And this is just, this has just been my way of, uh, in granted, cause I'm in school too, of how I can show up in the field and um, support and advocate. So. Well, you 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 can count me in helping you as much as I can. And uh you, you have access to me at any time. Yes, and, thank you. Yes. And then um uh I want to encourage you if you can get an opportunity to be a part of this organization called NAJA. It's the National Blacks and Criminal Justice. They got a big conference coming up in I want to say June. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be in Alabama. 
And, you know, you can go out there and get some live interviews and talk to some people. It's an incredible, incredible uh, a conference to be a part of. And you'll find some other Zen generation folks mm -hmm. out there just being involved. Okay. But it's a, an incredible, incredible uh, event. And I encourage some of your listeners out there to get involved in it as well. Um, a lot of the historical black colleges are sending their kids there to these conferences as well. Yes. It's a major, major conference. And you so, said it's called the National Blacks of Criminal Justice? Yes, yes. Okay. And if you have a hard time finding information, just shoot me an email and I'll get it to you. Okay. Well, before we get off here, I do want to uh, just remind the audience that if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you hit the subscription box Um well, the subscribe button below. Um, if you're interested in learning more about More Life the Reentry Podcast, you can just follow us on Instagram at More Life the Reentry Podcast. And thank you all for tuning in today. And Mr. Loudon, thank you for joining us. Hey, I want to say you did a great job. And follow my sister. Don't just peep in and look. Subscribe to her and pass it on and pass the word. Don't mm -hmm. ever keep a good thing to yourself. Help That's somebody. True. Yes. Oh.